This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 188. How, how is it? I mean, 180, how many, what's this show? 188. We've never, I've never heard of Walking the Mortgage. Have you, Brandon? <laughs> I have not. Between the I've show done and it all the years. Times. It's pretty cool. I bought this. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, man? I'm good, but I got to tell you, my brain is hurting a little bit. I learned a lot of stuff today. Oh, like how to walk, like how to spell your name, like <laughs> how to I paint mean, a I, picture. I know, I know we're, we're starting behind, but like, really? <laughs> no, we just got done recording the episode with today's guest. And oh, this guy is, that was a great show. This was, an, was a great yeah, show. This, this guy is a great, is show. A great show. You guys are going to love this thing. I mean, seriously, my brain hurts. I learned so much stuff today and I'm excited for you guys to be able to hear it. It's pretty awesome. So. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Things that we had never even heard of, like walking the mortgage. Yeah. I, mean, I love that concept. Love yeah. It. There's some really, really cool stuff. He's been around. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. pumped. Well, well, let's get into it. How, how you been? How's life? Things are good. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Baby's growing up big and strong. She's now three months old almost. And uh, oh. you know, yeah, things are good. Oh. It's, it's fun being a dad. How about you? You've been gone for a while. Yeah. I was in SoCal for a bit. Got to Take the kids swimming, hit the beach, go boogie boarding. We, we went to Universal, which was the Harry Potter thing. Harry Potter thing was fun. Yeah. The whole thing was great. Actually, a, a really funny story. I'm going to call out one of my daughters. I'm not going to call her out by name because I'll <laughs> forever destroy her, but we went on the Simpsons ride at Universal. And so the Simpsons ride is you, you get into this car that you could fit like, you know, four, four across the front row, four in the back and this thing rises you up and it's, it's like being in an IMAX movie, except you're on a moving vehicle that goes in all these directions. And like, as an adult, you're like, Oh my God, I'm flying through the air in Simpsons land. But imagine you're a five-year-old and you don't really know what's happening, except like <laughs> you went from reality to like Simpsons land and you're like crashing and all these things are happening. Well, let's just say that my five-year-old had a fit unlike I've ever seen before, <laughs> uh, screaming, absolutely mortified by this ride. It was so <laughs> frightening. And you know, like you're sitting there, you're like, there's nothing I could do. I'm strapped down. I cannot help you. I cannot get to you. It was a cool ride as a grown up, but I, I could certainly imagine as a little kid losing your mind. So <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> she was good later on in the day. And yeah, the Harry Potter area was uh was pretty awesome so we had That's a great cool. time good you scarred your daughter for life and uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> good <laughs> so, you know what they have which is the coolest they have these donuts they've got to be like i don't know eight ten inches across these giant homer yeah. simpsons donuts at, at the quickie mart which i i did not give into temptation and have you know i was at universal like a year and a half ago or two years ago i also did not give into that temptation but that ride was amazing I yeah that okay. was great Anyway, stuff. anyway, well, let's, let's get into today's show. All right. Let's do it. So today's show, we are, uh, we're talking a lot about market cycles, which you guys are going to love. I mean, if you're worried about your market being too hot right now, you're going to love this. Why don't we get to today's quick, quick tip. tip? 
right, guys, today's quick tip, the pro signature. So we've got so many pros on Bigger Pockets who you guys have the opportunity to have your company logo in your forum signature. So when you're out there interacting with folks on the Bigger Pockets forums, uh, you can actually get your brand out there. So let's just say that you were out there and you've done, I don't know, a few hundred forum posts. Every single one of those posts as a pro, you can have your company's brand, your company's logo right there below every single post. So if you are a pro, this is very advantageous to you in your marketing. So I strongly yeah. recommend as a pro to get out there and make sure to upload, to connect to your company account and get that logo up there. And if you're not a pro and you're trying to build your business and you're trying to build your brand in front of the 1.3 million visitors that we get each month to Bigger Pockets, getting a pro account might be a good idea. And where would, they go, where would they go to get a pro account, Josh? They could do that at biggerpockets.com slash pro. All right, good deal. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. All right. Let's get to the, uh, let's get I think to we're the, ready. I think we are ready. I think you guys are going to love this. Grab out a pen and paper. You're going to need to take some notes if you're driving. Pull over or just stop in the middle of the road. It's okay. Yeah, don't do that. Do <laughs> not, do not listen to Brandon, please. Ever, 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 ever. Just every Guys, time I talk today, just mute it and then come yeah, back on. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Okay. This, this is show 188 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. And you can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash 188. And if you would please 
jump on your iTunes, hit subscribe if this is your first time listening. If it's not, please leave us a rating and review. That would be very valuable. And if you're listening through some other tool, please be sure to do the same. And if you leave a rating and review, let us know. Shoot us an email or let us know on Twitter that you just left us a review so we can give you a virtual bear hug. There you go. There you go. All right. Today's guest, (laughs) David Gundmanson. I I might have butchered it, Probably. but uh, David Gundmanson. David is uh, he's, he's a real estate investor. He's been in the game since the mid '90s, and he's done pretty much everything: yeah. residential houses, condos, mobile homes, apartment buildings, strip malls, commercial land, acreage, notes. You name it. This guy, everything but building uh, ground up construction. I believe he said so. He's pretty much done it all. So listen up. He's got lots of great things to share and let's bring him in. What's going on, Dave? Welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Hey, it's good to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on. So can I call you Dave, by the way? I go by just about anything. So can I call you Brandon? Call this jerk by his real name. All right. Uh, so, so Dave or David, or I'll say Dave, I like Dave. So you've been, you've been doing this investing thing for a while now, right? Since I got my license in 94 and I bought my first investment property in January 1995. Okay. So you've been doing this for just a couple of years. So, yeah. Okay. So you, you've seen a little bit, you know, highs and lows and you've, you've kind of seen that, which I love talking to guys. I mean, I love talking to newbies as well because it's fun to hear the first time stories, but I love to talk to the veterans who have been doing this for 10, 20, 30 years yeah. uh, because you get to get that bigger perspective. And so that's what I'm excited about today. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we start at the very beginning of that? I mean, how did you get you that very first deal? Well, okay, can, uh, you I, know, can I even go before? Oh, that? go ahead. I mean, fine, fine, yeah, whatever, why, whatever. Why real estate? I, I think oh, we should sure. start with why real estate. All right, you fine. know, <laughs> and it's a good question. When I first got, when I was going to school, you always, you know, get a good education, get this, get that, you know, yada yada yada. And I just wasn't that guy. I went through school, and it just didn't make sense. I've always wanted to work for myself and have my own business. And I'm like, okay, it's not like I'm not going to hire myself because I don't have a college degree. So I got started in uh, real estate where a lot of my dad's friends were, were pretty wealthy and invested in real estate for a number of years. And so I said, you know, these guys have something. I mean, they, they kind of goofed off during the day. They also worked hard, but they had, they, they built their assets and the assets produced income. And with that, I mean, they're able to travel around the world and do a lot of things that I've always wanted to do. So, yeah. and that's kind of how I got into it. I, I bought my first, I, I read a lot of books and I'm, I believe in being self-taught. So I, I read, I forget what, what books in the beginning, but I, I just, just about read everything. And I, I came across in January, 1995, I closed on my first one. Back then we used to look at newspapers and, uh, before what's, the what's internet, that? I'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those filthy ink rags. And, uh, <laughs> back then they used to have FHA no qualifying, assumable. If you were a mammal and you had a pulse and you had $125 and whatever the down payment the seller wanted, you could actually take over these loans and freely assume them. Wow. wow. It was wow. awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> so I came across this one. It was a condo in this um, place in Chandler outside the suburb of Phoenix. And I think it was they wanted $4,500 down, something like that. And I could assume their loan and the purchase price was, I think, 40000 something like that. And I bought it and... I closed on it and all you had to do is literally is just send in $125 to the title company and you could assume it and, and get it. I had no credit and, you know, started as a real estate agent, starving, you know, making less than I would at, you know, Mickey D's or something. And I, I that's how I got it. Wow. And I remember it was interesting because I didn't have a clue what I was going to rent it for. I just remembered that I wanted to clear a certain amount of money over the payment. So I was going to ask, I think, 575 I said, you know what? I'm just going to go 645 
throw a little three by five card by the pool. I ended up leasing it out in like 24 hours. Nice. Uh, I want to ask a, a few questions on, sure, on yeah. the specifics. I, th- I think some of our listeners may be lost in the weeds as to what just happened. So, okay. <laughs> so you've got, all right. So I go, I send $125 to the title company. I now assume the loan. Correct. correct? Yeah. So everything went to title uh-huh. and we just, you just write it up as an, a loan assumption and the title company took care of everything like a normal deal, but you literally, you would assume the loan. So it costs you 125. You don't have to put any, any more money down on this property. Well, I gave the seller 4,500 bucks. So you give the seller 4,500 bucks. Okay. And, and you said the property done. was worth about 45,000. And once you assume the loan, now the property is, is title changes over to you. Correct. Correct. So I get a full deed to the title, warranty deed. And what was interesting is a lot of these loans, they did it during the 80s. And then I think they phased out the assumable no qualifying around December 14th, 89, something like that. And VAs used to be assumable too before I think it was 1988 in March. And what was cool is, is a lot of these loans were already eight, 10 years into term. Mm. So even yeah. though, you know, the payments or the cash flow was, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month, you had some massive principal pay down. Yeah. So you, you could have 100, 200, you know, 250 dollars a month go toward principal reduction, right? Because it was a you know a loan with 18 years left, not 30. So yeah. So can somebody do this today? No, they got a, they got away with it in they quit doing it in the late 80s, and then the the loans were available even during the 90s. But with the refinance boom and all that, as soon as you refinance it, it was gone. Yeah. So and FHA loans are fully assumable now. You just have to qualify them and occupy the property. Right. Right. So. Okay, so so you're beginning. You you started. I mean, it sounds like you didn't go. You didn't end up doing the college path. You Correct. dove dove knee deep and you got your agent license. Started to buy. You bought this first condo. You're renting it out. You're you're off to the races. You're your own boss, right? <laughs> now what? yeah. Well, and then you know I had a couple of dollars to start with, and I was lucky. But I got to a point where I ran out of money. I was I was actively buying a property a month right out wow. of the chute, and I got to an interesting point where I ran out of money. But I learned and understood the process of buying. And that's why I think it's really important to learn. Like I was playing last night on my iPad, the game of Monopoly. Uh, and yeah. it's kind of cool. You can play with the, you know, the, the computer or against the, you know, the computer. And what was interesting is I thought about it. I said, you know what? I can never win at Monopoly unless I roll the dice and I buy houses. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's so yeah. true. Where it's yep. just like you have to roll the dice, man. You have to take a plunge. And you know what? That first property, I was scared to death. At night, I stayed away, you know, stayed awake, worried about it. Oh, what if I can't rent it? What if I can't do this? I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And <laughs> I mean, you just don't have a clue. How do you, you know, you don't know till you know. Yep. So, and I remember it'll be one of my famous four, but it's a good book I wrote and I'll tell it then. But it talked about, it was, it was written by a real estate agent who lived in Arizona who was an investor. So it was pretty cool. And I was able to pull a lot of helpful tips out of that book and it really helped me get started. So let me ask you this question real quick. It, you talked about when you got started, you didn't know what you were doing. You just kind of started doing it. Can you Correct. can kind of speak to our audience today? There's a lot of people listening to our show who are in the same spot. They have no idea what they're doing and they're nervous or scared you to jump in. Should they also just sit back? I mean, like, should they just roll the dice and jump in? Should they wait until they learn more and more and more? I mean, is there a point to jump in? Where should they get involved? You know, that's, that's a good question. And I, w- I would say you can only learn a certain amount via books, podcasts and stuff like that. And I think you guys have an excellent podcast. It's extremely educational oh, and it's, it's, I think it's the best out there. And I think it's important to educate yourself. You know, you can't be, you know, you can't be an idiot and learn how to do this. I mean, you have to keep, <laughs> you know, you have to learn, but you get to a point where you have to do. 
And, you know, there's people sign up for boot camps and all the educational things and this and that. And heck, I mean, I've seen somebody blow 40 grand on, you know, buying this stuff, buying in that. And sometimes it's like, you know what? Let's just say you bought a house, tried to flip it. And even if you lost money, it's important to learn the process. It's so important to learn the process. And once you understand the process, you just replicate it. And I think real estate investing is kind of like a set of stairs. You get to a point where you learn everything you can about residential rentals. And, you know, and I kind of got to that where I just, I've bought it, I've sold it, I've leased option that I've owned or carried it. You kind of done enough and then you're ready to go to the next phase. Maybe it's lot splits, maybe it's commercial, maybe it's, you know, land, whatever. But what I did when I first was investing was, is when I ran out of money, I said, the reality is, is all I need is money because I understand the process. So what I did was I actually cash advance credit cards and used the cash advance to buy, buy properties. And I don't advise that to everybody because it can be scary. But what was interesting is, is I understood the numbers and I understood how to do the math. And it's like, okay, you know what? If I buy this property and it's going to clear $200 a month, that's $2,400 annually. And if I invest $10,000, my return is 24%. And I knew as long as I made 24%, that's the highest my credit cards could go up to. (laughs) And I could still cover the bare interest on these things and not go into trouble. So, but like I said, I don't advise that to everybody. Pretty risky. that's how I got going. I used credit cards, yeah. cash advance, and bought a ton of the stuff in the in the mid nineties. Nice. Hey, David. So we're, it sounds like the first bunch of deals you did were the, these assumable, like just Correct. small properties, assumable. How many of those deals did you end up doing? You know, it's, give or take. It's, I mean, dozens. Okay, dozens and do- and then what was interesting is is VA, and I think you can still do this today. You can legally wrap VA loans. Interesting. You can't assume them, but you can wrap them. I think after March 1st, 88, they're assumable with qualifying or they're wrappable. And what I, I remember this one deal I was doing where I, I searched in the MLS and looked for things that said VA mortgage. And I'd reach out to the agent and say, hey, you know what? I'm interested in this thing. It needs work. I want to put together a deal. What if we did a wrap? And she's like, what's a wrap? And what's interesting is just because people in the business doesn't mean they know what they're doing. I mean, they could Correct, be 20 yeah. years in the business, but they could have the same one-year experience 20, 20 times. So I I set a meeting. I said, listen, let's get together with you, me and the seller and see if we can structure this on a VA wrap. And what I told her those, I said, I'm not, it's not my place to, you know, embarrass her in front of the client. I said, let's just work together and try to put this thing together. And we set up a meeting with her, the seller, myself, and I went through the, on how to do a, a VA wrap. Agreement for sale, you know, equitable title, legal title in Arizona. And I went through the whole process, explained it to him, explained it to her, and it made sense, and we, and we did that deal. And the importance, I think, of that is, is a lot of times people in the business, they don't know, but they're afraid to say they don't know because they've been in the business 10 years, 20 years, or whatever. So yeah. a lot of times, even the newbies, you'll get to a point where you might know more than the people helping you out, you know, and don't assume everybody knows everything that you do because yeah. they don't, yeah. you know. It- can you, can you really quickly explain a wrap to, to folks who don't know what you're talking about? All the, all the 20, 30 year veterans listening. To, they're like, <laughs> I've heard that, but I don't know what he's talking about. And to the news. <laughs> and, and mind you, every, the disclosure is every state's going to be different. Yeah. But the theory behind a wrap is, is that the loan stays in the seller's name. And I'm complete, I believe in complete transparency. I tell the seller, listen, you're on the hook for the loan. If this payment doesn't get made, it will negatively affect your credit. And we have it t- set up where it's it's title insured for the seller, fire insured, and account service. So the principle behind a wrap is, is that I will make the payments to the title company, and the title company will get the payments. Let's just say the payments are $500. Yeah. 
we won't get into principal and interest, just, I mean, taxes and insurance, $500, and then that payment's going to go to the bank. What I would do if I was a seller would be is do what they call a token carryback. And what that is, is, is receive X amount of dollars per month. Maybe it's a dollar. They know every month that 501 is getting paid to title, 500 is going to the mortgage company, and a dollar is going to go to the seller. If they don't get their dollar, they know the payment's not getting made. Uh-huh. So, and that's where sometimes I want to let the sellers know I'm here to protect them and that, hey, we'll set this token carry back up. So every month you don't get your dollar or $10, you know that the payments aren't getting made and you're going to have to step up and do it. But it, you know, and that's, that's one pitch that I'll do when I do the creative financing is yeah, to say, hey, cool. here's a potential risk, but let's try to, you know, mitigate it. So, so who does title go in? Does it stay when you do a wrap? Are you says title in your name or in their name? They retain legal title and I retain, I get what they call equitable title. So okay. in Arizona, it's an agreement for sale. And so technically when the thing's finally paid off, then I would get conveyed full ownership, but I, I can still sell it when I own it then or refinance it and do it. So I have all the benefits of ownership, but it just makes it easier for them to foreclose. Okay. Yeah. And this is definitely one of those things, like you said, state specific. I mean, every state's different. Some states have, uh, what are they called? The uh, contract for deed. Yeah. Contract for deed. Yeah. Exactly. Deed of trust. You know, every state's different. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's an interesting thing. And and some people, you know, we've heard a lot about subject two. Like, do you know, Mm -hmm. like, how does this compare to subject two? You know, and I've always wondered that too, where you have, and I've done it where here I just do an agreement for sale. Yep. So we do the conveying interest instrument instead of a deed of trust as an agreement for sale. Okay. And that's recorded and, and that's kind of how we do it. But and so I guess subject two is like, is I get legal and equitable title, but the loan stays in their name. I'm just buying a subject two. So that yeah, sounds like they could difference. be signing a deed over to you. Yeah. So, okay. But by, that the, by of, the way, just a, a quick bit to, to anyone listening. I mean, if you're sitting listening and wondering what the heck is going on, if you're lost <laughs> or if you're interested in like, Oh, this sounds awesome. I'm going to go do it. You know, it's, you know, this is one of those things you definitely want to talk to your, your real estate attorney. You want to talk yeah. to your accountant and you want to make sure that you get solid advice for your area, you know, legal and financial advice before getting into these kinds of deals. So always, always, you know, uh, confer to your counsel. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause it's complicated. It's really yeah. complicated. The, the, the owner carrybacks are a lot more fun and, and that's a lot simpler. It's a lot cleaner. And those, uh, you know, those are fun. I've done a ton of those. Well, let's talk about that. Well, before, okay. I, I want to ask you about what that is and how you do it. But before I do okay. that, how many total deals, just so people can have perspective of what you've done, how many total deals would you estimate you've done in your career? Probably between 250 and 300. Okay. Cool. So you've so, done a couple. And mind you, a lot of those aren't like flips. I'm in and out. I'm not wholesaling these things in and out in an hour or a day or two days. I mean, sure. a lot of these, I've held it through different cycles and, you know, I've bought in different times. I bought a lot in the in the mid nineties liquidate. I had, I think 70 or 80 places at that time units and then liquidated just about everything in 0405. Oh. Yeah. And I got out oh. early and then I sat out for three years and didn't do anything. I mean, just, yeah. it's crazy when you used to buying something once a month yeah. and then you literally do nothing for three years. I, I just did brokerage. And then, and then in Phoenix, we were like the epicenter of the crash yep. oh, yeah. and oh nine, 10 and 11. I went crazy. I mean, I, I bought, <laughs> you know, I did, it was just, it was, it was the time to buy. Yep. And I bought a bunch during that time. That's cool. Well, we'll definitely, I and mean, we're, we're going to go there. For yeah. Sure. I want to okay. spend a good chunk of our show on the, on sure. market design. But before we get there, so overall, again, to go back to big perspective, you've done 250, 300 deals. Are yeah. these, I mean, flips, you said you've done, you know, have you done pretty much everything or have you been focusing on kind of one strategy or two? You know, I, I, I enjoy kind of doing everything and okay. I even kind of typed up some notes that way and kind of go through. I've, I've done 
residential like houses, condos, mobile homes on land, apartment buildings. I own strip malls, auto-related, uh, so commercial buildings, land, raw acreage, infill custom lots. So I've kind of, I've kind of wow. done it. Not all, but I've done, I've never done any ground up construction, but I've done pretty much most of it with residential and some with commercial and a little with land. Wow. Yes. Okay. So you've done a few things. So let's He's go back. Li- hey, hey, Brandon, yeah. I thought we were going to get somebody experienced on the show. <laughs> <laughs> what, well, where'd we get we'll, this guy? We'll work hey, on it. <laughs> all right. So let's go back to seller. You mentioned seller carry back. Is that the same as seller financing and what is it and how does it work? Okay. And that's where it becomes fun is I, I remember, you know, I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine and he's like, Hey, how do you get these? sellers to carry. I'm like, I ask because it's so yeah. important to ask and connect with the sellers. Everybody, like, let's just say you're a seller. Oh, I want to get cash. Okay, great. You get cash. What are you going to do with the cash? They haven't even thought that far. Yeah. yeah. They're like, well, I guess I'll throw it in the bank. I'm like, okay, great. You're going to make what? Half a percent. I don't know what the bank pays. Half percent, one percent. It's under one, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just like, it's like, Hey, you can make five to 10 times that amount if you owner finance. Oh, what's that? I said, oh, it's great. Not only do you get some cash at close, but you get monthly income without the, you know, the tenants and toiletries. Yeah. So they love it where a lot of these people are retired. They, they maybe own just a sort of rental property. They're just tired and done. And so I'll just, I'll, I'll explain to them and say, oh, it's great. You get some cash at close. That way you can pay your bills, do what you want, go on a trip. And then you get a nice monthly income. And then if we do a balloon payment, you get, you know, money at the end. So, and there was, there was one is really unique. And I, let me look at my notes. We, I bought it for, this is, I think two years ago. She wanted, she was set on her price. Oh, I got to get 165. I got to get 165. I said, okay, you know, it's not worth 165. I didn't, I plan on using it as a rental and I need to be into it for 140. And I said, okay, let's do something really cool. I'm going to get you your price of 165, but I'm only going to pay 140. Well, how are you going to do that? I said, okay, I'm going to give you 140,000. I'm going to give you, we negotiated 20, but there's some judgments and other issues. So we had to end up giving her 40. And I said, I'm going to pay you 5% annually. So 5% on 100,000 is 5,000. If that carryback goes full term, which is five years, that's $25,000 with the interest payments. So I paid her 140, but I also showed her that she can get her price of 165 <laughs> by putting, and that's what, I mean, it's, it might be, I don't think it's smoke and mirrors, but it's just outlining out what's there. And she was happy with the 165. Hey, I got my price. Now she can tell the the neighbor or her daughter that they're arguing with about that. Hey, I got what I needed to get. Sometimes it's just about saving face. Yeah. So, so in this case, she got a 165, which was the the lump sum plus all the interest payments. No, Uh, 140. I gave her 140. I had to buy this for 140. Yeah. But I showed her that if the carry back went five years, that if I paid her 5,000 a year in interest, yeah. It would, it eventually add up. And this is what the crazy part of this deal yeah. was. I ended up deciding to fix it up and it turned out so nice. I just decided to sell it. So I sold it and I called her up and said, Hey, I got to pay you off. And she didn't want to get paid off. I said, yeah. I got to pay you. I'm selling this thing. <laughs> I don't want to get paid off. So I, and I've done this before. It's called walking the mortgage. So I took that loan and moved it to another property that I had. And all we did is just go through title and just do a substitution of collateral. And change That's the cool. legal description. That's I've cool. I've never heard of this. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us about the, uh, I'm following you. I love this. So go ahead. Yeah, and inter- say, interesting. Wow. Yeah, tell us that again. How, how is it? I mean, 180, how many, what's this show? 188. We've never, I've never heard of walking the mortgage. <laughs> have you, Brandon? I have not. 
between the I've show done and it all a couple the years. Times. It's pretty cool. I bought this one property and this is years ago and I bought it on a private note, private seller carry back. And let's just say the interest rate was six. I held it for a number of years and then I turned around and sold it on a wrap. And the cool things with wraps are you can increase the interest rate. So I was paying the seller six and they were paying me eight and a half. So not only do I make an arbitrage on my, I get a return on my equity. I also get a spread off the interest rate. Yeah. Does cool. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then this is what was neat was is it didn't have a due on sales clause. So I, I sold it on a wrap. Two years later, uh, the uh, guy called me and said, hey, I'm refinancing this property. I'm going to pay you off. I said, okay. So I called the seller I bought it from who has, you know, making the payments too. And I don't want to get paid off. I don't want to get paid off. He didn't even know I sold the property. I didn't have to notify her because there's no due on sales. And she was adamant about not wanting to get paid off. So that's when I did the first walk the mortgage. This is forever ago in the 90s. And we just moved it to another property. I even went from a first to a second. She didn't care. She just knew I paid. So even though she went from a first mortgage to a second, she just knew that, hey, you know, the loans with Dave, he's going to pay me. And, you know, that's when I originally did that the first time. So, so she, yeah. they don't care what the collateral is. They just care that they're getting the payment. So you just shift it over. A- absolutely. And I heard this once because I used to also loan private money. I used to do hard money loans. And I had somebody tell me this where a good borrower could make a bad loan good and a bad borrower could make a good loan bad. Where you know if someone's going to pay, it doesn't matter if they're upside down or not on the house. If they're a good borrower, they're just going to pay. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you could have all the collateral in the world, but if the borrower's a bad borrower, they're just going to be late every month. So, yeah. but, and that's where she just felt comfortable enough with me to know that you know, wanted to walk that over to somewhere else. And I've actually done that a couple of times. So, so how complex cool. is that process? I mean, who, who besides, you know, the seller and, and you, like who, who else needs to it? Just title did it all. So what, title does it all. It just, you just treat it like you're just doing a loan on a property. And that's the, that's the important thing about having good contacts. And it was kind of a, you know, interesting when I, when I was talking to Hillary the other day and I had some technical difficulty on my end trying to figure uh, Skype out, where I think it's important to, one thing I've learned is I've never been the smartest guy in the room, far from it. And I think it's important to know that you just know you're not going to be the smartest guy, but I think it's important to be able to pick up the phone and dial and have any of the smartest people you know on speed dial. And within five minutes, you know, I had my computer guy on the phone, we're able to fix the problem and it was done. And that's why I think it's important where you have to take the time to develop relationships with people, you know, investors, attorneys, accountants, title people where you just know that you know the concept of what you want to accomplish, but let them figure out the technical details about it. Yeah. And, and they yeah. just did. I said, listen, I want to secure note A to property B. What do we do? And they yeah. just type up whatever and it's done. I love so, it. Oh, it sounds cool. Sounds yeah. really cool. Well, I mean, we, we can keep digging. I'm sure we'll learn <laughs> some other stuff that we've never heard of as well. But I know Brandon and I were really excited to to dig in on market cycles. I, I think okay, it's yeah. something that you like to nerd out about a little bit. And, <laughs> and we haven't really done a great Hey, I resemble show. that remark. So. You should. You should. Like... So, you know, I, I think you, you use them to make buy-sell decisions. Clearly, you were one of the, f- the few people who got out before the crash, probably because you realized that market cycles were kind of funny at the time. So let, let's, let's dig in. What, what exactly is a market cycle? Okay. I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, you have peaks and valleys. What's the oldest? Forget location, location, location. It's all about buy low and 
Sell high. Sell high. That's yeah, right. it. I mean, I, that's as simple as it gets, but it, but it's, it's extremely complex if you think about it. So I remember, and I, I read a lot of books. I remember in the nineties, I was reading a book about timing market cycles. And I said, okay, cool. This is, I want to try this out. So this is in 97. And I remember looking around and saying, okay, I want to find what markets are absolutely in the toilet. Okay. And at that time, I believe it was the Northeastern states and California. And Northeastern, too far, too cold. I looked at California, San Francisco, too expensive, too far. San Diego, too expensive. LA, either you're, you know, it's really expensive or there's some pretty tough areas. So I, I came across San Bernardino, California. And this yeah. is, I think, in 97. And I said, okay, the market was really bad then. I think there were some bases that closed. And, and I said, why? I went into that market and say, why is this area going to turn around? Why is it going to thrive? And I drove around and I just said, you know what? There's lots of buildable land. I think it's, I think it's going to turn. And I bought two apartment complexes and I bought a, I think it was a 15 unit and an eight unit. And, and what was funny at the time was I was in my late twenties, been married a couple of years and I'd owned, I think 15 homes and I just bought two apartment complexes. And what was funny is I still didn't have enough money to actually own my own home then. Isn't that funny? I actually. <laughs> I actually lived at a family member's house and we, we, you know, house hacked where we rented out the four or five, the four bedrooms upstairs and used nice. that to kind of help pay for bills and stuff. But, you know, that's another story. But I think it was important just to sacrifice where I'm like, you know what? I want to sacrifice now because I know if I go all in, it's just going to get better down the road. So in the, in Arizona and in California, in the middle, it was at the bottom of the cycle. Arizona hit the bottom in the early 90s. It had the savings and loan scandals of the 80s and just, you know, just all kinds of things went wrong. And so I bought a bunch of properties in 95, 96, bought in California in 97, 98. The one thing I learned about buying out of state is, is that no matter what, no one's going to run your property like you're going to run. We went through three different management companies. The 15 unit was a disaster. We ended up, I ended up, I had partners on that. I ended up selling it. We sold it for more, but by the time you figured time and commissions, it was a break-even and it was yep. a total loss as far as time. But the other building I hung on to and I hung on to it for a, a while and sold it. And I sold it too early. I don't remember what year. It was somewhere in the 2000s. But I sold it and you know got a pretty good check off of that one and it was great. And, and what the interesting thing I've learned about market cycles is, is that Arizona, we boom and we bust. In the mid-80s, we boomed, and then they took away the tax laws, and then the market busted. And then the early 90s through the all the 90s, we boomed. And then 05 and 06, we had this hyper-crazy boom. Oh, yeah. And what I found was, is that I, I sold out in 04, 05, and I sold out some, I think, one or two in 07. So not at the peak, but not before the 08 crash. And what I learned is, is that, let me give you an example. I have one property. It's a textbook example of a market cycle property is this property is in Mesa and I bought it for 75 in 1999 and it rented for $800 and I held it for a number of years and then I sold it in 07 for 188 and at that time the peak in that neighborhood is maybe 200 but this is what's interesting is the rent stayed the same for 10 years. It just was flat. It's $800. Wow. And I think the trick to understanding market cycles is my golden nugget on that thing would be is, is look at return on equity. What's the cap rate on that house? When I bought it in 99, the cap rate is just a return based on it being free and clear. 
what return would I make if the house is a $100,000 house and if I net 10 grand a year, it's a 10% return. So that house was probably about a 10% return. At the peak of the market, that home is valued at 200,000. It's still rented for eight or 850. The return on that investment would only be 4%. Okay. And I sold that in 88. And this is, or I'm sorry, I sold it for 188 in 2007. That same house went back as a short sale and I had an opportunity to buy it for 49. And I knew the, (laughs) and I'm like, you know what? This guy's going to be ticked. (laughs) So, So I actually passed on it. And it actually went back to the bank for 50. I think it sold for 54. I actually bought a house around the corner in that same neighborhood for 40 grand. Wow. Okay. And that home rents for 850. Still rents for 850. 850. It's, it's the same. Yeah. And now the rents are finally going up here. But that's yeah. what I say. So if you can figure out your return on equity, my return on equity on that thing was, okay, so 800 if I'm netting out, you know, I mean, it's probably if I'm netting out 600. You know, annually is what, 72. So it's probably 15% return. You know, I had to put about 10 into it. So I'm into it for 50. Okay. So if I'm making 15% return unleveraged, that's a great return. Let yeah. the market go to zero. I don't care. And that's what I did during 09, 10, and 11. You could buy homes in Phoenix, three to four bedroom homes, West Phoenix, certain areas of Mesa, three bed, four bed, two bath, then rent for 800 bucks. You can buy them all day for 30, 40 grand. That's crazy. I, and, and got a, is, how do you go wrong? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. You're dead on with what you're saying. Like, uh, how could you go wrong? I'm, I'm actually going to ask the question because I want to know how and why did you know to sell? And to your point just now, how did you know it was safe to buy? A lot of people look at the housing market. They said, well, you know, it crashed. It's, it's down. It's, it's crazy. And, and Calling, you know, catching a fish. Catching a dropping knife. Yeah. It was, it yeah. Was yeah. I mean, is, you know, is this, is this a smart time to, to be jumping in or, or should you wait till things stabilize a little bit? So like those are the questions that I have and that I'm sure other people are going to have is, you know, you're talking about timing this thing. It, it makes sense what you're talking about when yeah. you, when you start to look logically, like, hey, but emo- you're not because you factor in the emotions and everybody sure. goes well, crazy. I like, I like how you talk about the rents, right? The rents didn't really rise, right? So, you know, to buy that property, today, which was 06, 07, whatever it was, you know, you're still only making 800, you're getting a 4% return. You know, it's starting to look a little, little, you know, uh, skewed, right? So that seems like a a signal to me. Um, What other signals were out there for you that that told you it was time to sell? And what other signals do you look at on the sale side? And then we'll look at the buy side. Excellent. Excellent question. A couple things. This is what was really interesting. I was running into a time where in 04 and part of 05, I was getting people with terrible credit that were applying for my houses. And I'm like, they're, they, this sucks. I mean, they're horrible credit. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I heard that I would decline them, but then I heard they went and bought a home. What the? You know, I mean, it's, are you kidding me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was crazy. And I remember even doing brokerage during that time. I did a lot of brokerage. I sold apartment complexes, small apartment, you know, fourplexes, that kind of thing. And the joke would be is, Hey, man, the, the, you know, the MLS, the, we inputted this thing in the MLS like 30 minutes ago. You know, where's the offers? Then all of a sudden, bah, 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 you know, the things are kicking out the fax machines and, and you, you sell these fourplexes What's that? that they. <laughs> <laughs> What's a fax machine? So we'd get the, yeah, the old fax machines, you know, and, and we would sell these fourplexes that rented for four to five hundred bucks a unit for 350,000. Wow. And the only upside play was appreciation. No yeah. cash flow. 
who cares about tax write-offs, man? If you're losing your shirt, I mean, you know, who needs a tax write-off? And what I found was that they were only playing the upside game. Yeah. The problem with that is as soon as you have the upside game taken away, it's like musical chairs. 20 people, 20 chairs, music's on. All of a sudden the music goes on, you know, everyone's dancing, lights go off, everyone's partying. They don't realize quietly chairs are being taken. Yep. And I've always kind of been in early and been out early. So I, you know, I got out early, sat down, took a chair, put my legs up, relaxed. But then when the lights go on, you're not the other 19 people fighting for four chairs that are left. And it was, it was brutal. I mean, it was, it was tough. It was really, really tough here. People just I had friends that just lost their shirts. So maybe this is a good time to ask this question is, you you were talking about back in the day, you noticed that, you know, you list something on the MLS and offers start flying in. Yeah. This is the story everybody's talking about today, that yeah. today you list a house and you get 15 offers before the weekend's over. Especially in my market. Yeah, especially yeah. In, like when you look at Denver and things like that. I mean, should we be, in your opinion, should we be worried? Should we be well, getting out? Well, I can't out? tell anyone what to do. I can tell you what I've done. Sure. I'm, I'm gone from 60 to 30 homes that I'm selling. Okay. Yeah. I'm starting to sell. And then you know what? You're never going to hit the exact top and you're never going to hit the sure. exact bottom. Yeah. Yep. And it's like, you know what? The home that I bought for 40, I got an MLS for 170. You know, wow. it's, a, you know, we got it out there. So I'm, I'm selling it. Yep. So, and, and you're never, and I look from a logistical standpoint, if you have, let's just say you have 36 homes and if you can only liquidate two a month because of renovation and turning over the tenants, it's going to take you a year and a half to get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, in, in the market cycles, in my opinion, is it's kind of like having a cruise ship do a U-turn. It's not going to happen all at, it's just, yeah. you know, so, and I think you have some of these and I'm, I'm kind of looking at my, my notes where I'm just starting to liquidate out the homes. And I, you get to a point where if the, if the home you're in it for 40, it, it's selling for 170, it's quadrupled. Yeah. I mean, if I get out now, it's going to go, maybe it goes up. 25, 50,000, but yeah. it's not going to quadruple again. It's not going to double. I have to yeah. look at all these where you buy them for 30, 40, they're selling for 150, 160. I mean, they've quadrupled. You get to a point where it's important to, you know, take some chips off the table. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so, so, I mean, there's not necessarily one or two things that you're looking for. You're, you're kind of looking at the big picture view. Correct. All the, all the multitude of things that are happening. I mean, for, for me, I remember, you know, when, when I, when I got out, um, you know, started to get nervous about the market was in 04, was it 04, 03, when, when I was living in LA, the famous story of that, to me, my famous story of, <laughs> there was, you know, a police officer who, who had, just bought this million dollar house. Yeah. And, you know, I wish our police officers could buy million dollar houses, but you know, it, this, it doesn't really work out that well with, you know, salaries. And when I heard that, I, you know, I was an agent. I was like, this, this is not good. This is a really bad sign. You know, when, when people, this guy is, you know, the, the note's gonna, gonna balloon on him and, yeah. and he's yeah. gonna be, you know, in a lot of trouble. He's gonna, He's going to lose his house. And so is everybody else. Well, yeah. let me start to unload. This is, this is kind of a dangerous time. People are in trouble. You know, that was one, one sign. There's, I don't know, people who say, you know, I, I kind of think that people who say that they didn't see it coming probably weren't looking or they were kind of too caught up in the mix of what was happening because I think there were some very, very obvious signs like those, but like take, take less obvious signs, you know, take, take a market like Denver for example, right now, 
Denver, hot as hell. You know, houses are are selling in you know a couple of days at most. Yeah. But we've got a mass population influx. You know, we're getting ten thousand people a month moving into Denver. There's jobs. There's, all the economic signals are good, but prices are going to the moon. You know, how do we know? You know, when do things turn? You know, these are the things that I I know lots of people are trying to figure out. I know. I'm just curious about your feedback on something like that. It's, t- I mean, you're never going to pick the exact, I mean, right. you're never going to pick the day it hits top and oh, of course time not. it hits bottom. But you ever heard the boiled frog analogy? Yeah. Uh, I can imagine it. <laughs> you know, you, you put a, you throw a frog in a hot boiling thing of water, it'll jump out immediately. You throw it in a cold thing and you turn it up. He doesn't realize it's hot enough that he needs to get out and he'll eventually boil to death. Wow. That's and- crazy. <laughs> you're, you're a great, pleasant, Man, <laughs> but the point is, is that, you know, it's, it's somewhere between the top and the bottom. And, you know, you kind of just were near the top. What's the top, you know, the day, the time, I don't have a clue. I just know that when you get to a point where there's time to, I, I feel I have more to lose by hanging to the very end yeah. than the amount I would gain. And what I'm doing right now is I'm selling and getting into land yeah. and selling and buying land and, uh, you know, some commercial and I think too, I think it's important to have a short, middle, and long-term goals. Like right now, my short term, I'm doing flips. Anything residential, I'm in, I'm out. Get in, get out, under six months. That's my short-term box. Mid-range might be if someone's going to do value add like build spec or add a bedroom bathroom. Here in Phoenix, everybody's punching out in the historical areas or nicer areas or dropping in, excuse me, a a master suite. They're adding on five, six hundred square, you know, five, six hundred square feet. They can do it for 80 bucks a foot and they can sell for 180. They're making a good spread on that. And then I think you have your long-term box of investments that might be a year and a half to five years. I think it's tough to look past five years, but, and that's what I do is like my rentals have always been, I knew in 09, 10 and 11, I was buying all these rentals. And during that time it was tough. I mean, I was starving. I mean, imagine buying these homes and each home you buy, you need to drop 10 in, 10 grand into and then buy 15 of these dang things a year at least. I mean, I don't know where the money's coming from. I was borrowing from this and that, credit cards, wherever I can get the money. And that's, I think, the important thing to look at too with market cycles is look at money flow. You couldn't, you could get smoking deals in 09 and 10, 11, who had cash. But if you had cash, cash was king. Now yeah. money's really loose. We have tons, you can get Hard money, so easy. Hard money, super loose. FHA financing is financing just about everything here under 300. And it's money's, money's loose again. And when money's loose, you know, deals are hot. Markets are selling fast. I mean, who knows if it's the top, top, but it's not a bad time to cash out on some. So for somebody who is listening to this show right now and they're looking to buy their first deal or maybe second or third, you know, they're new in their career. Mm -hmm. Do you have any recommendations for them? Like, would you, I mean, would you say flat out, maybe you should just sit down and just take a chair and wait for the, you know, the the lights to come back on and the music to stop? Or do you, do you advise them just to look for the best deal anyway? Or what's your opinion? It depends, you know, because every, you have to understand like Phoenix was the episode, the crash happened, Phoenix, Vegas, California, Florida. But you go to other places, I don't know, other markets, say Texas, and you get some of these markets where it's pretty even keeled, where they just don't have the huge run-ups and run-downs. Yep. And my point with the market timing is, if you time it right in the real volatile markets, you can make a ton of money, but if you time it wrong, you'll get crushed. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where you have to figure is, is just, 
as a newbie, if you buy right and you going in it for the long haul and you're in it right and you just know you're going to be okay. And you know, I, I just, it was tough here because the same homes that I bought for 30 and 40,000 in West Phoenix topped out at two and a quarter. Yeah. And, and what is, is buying, what, what is buying right? You know, because I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of newbies get, get excited by the thrill of appreciation and, you know, yeah. some of these old hats, you know, we were like, well, be, be smart. Make sure there's cash flow. You know, don't, don't just buy on spec, basically. So what does buy right mean to you? I mean, a couple things. One, okay, let's, I'll, I'll break it into two different things. One, I'll break it into rentals and then I'll break it into flips. Okay. Like, and I was going to tell newbies, if you want to figure out how to source deals and, and analyze deals, I think it's important to understand the numbers. And like, give an example. I use like Z buyer. Okay. And Z buyer email you five, 10 leads a day and it costs a couple hundred dollars depending on the market, submarket. But the cool thing I think would be neat, if I was a newbie, I'd get on Craigslist or ZBuyer or one of those. You get the deal and you immediately go through the numbers. Say, okay, you know what? Even if you don't have access to MLS, pull up Zillow and say, okay, the deal's worth a hundred thousand based on four or five homes that have sold between 95 and 105. I know it's going to cost me 10% cost of sale. So that brings it down to 90. And you look at it and you figure, okay, it's a medium renovation. Maybe it'll cost you, you know, 20. So from 90, you go to 70. And then if you want to make 20 profit, you go from 70 to 50. So, you know, Hey, if I want to flip that deal, I buy at 50, I sell it at a hundred. Those are the numbers. And I think it's important to go through those and learn those in your head. I'll do that five, 10, 20 times a day on leads. And you just get to a point where you just do it in your head and you have to look at the data but you do the numbers in your head. If I was looking at an investment, it return it depends on your return. You could have, you might have different uh, return on investment criteria than I would. But I think if you look at, hey, I'm going to make, I mean, if you're making single digit returns, I mean, that's pretty thin. And you have to look at back in the boom, if I'm going to buy this house and make 4%, there's better, safer investments that I can do than put my money in a house. Because it's it's not, even though it's, classified as passive. It's, there's nothing passive about rentals. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I think you just have to figure out your own criteria and stick to it. But I think it's important to constantly develop and, and add to your criteria and, 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 you know, change it a little bit based on the market and the scenario you're in. So. Yeah. I agree. And since we're kind of talking about the whole analyzing deals thing, uh, I do want to give two quick shout outs. First of all, if you guys aren't using, you know, the bigger pockets property analysis calculators with rental property calculator, flip calculator, wholesale calculator, or bird calculator, you guys should check them out. Biggerpockets.com slash analysis. Uh, and also uh, this coming week, we're going to be doing a live webinar here on bigger pockets. And so it's on Wednesday night. Hope you guys can make it. It's called five things to know before buying a rental property. Seriously, these five things are vital. And in there, we're going to talk about a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here today with Dave. Uh, so hope you guys can join me come biggerpockets.com slash webinar. You can sign up and I'll hopefully see you there. So with that, I want to go back. To, you said Z buyer. I'd never heard of Z buyer before. Yeah. It's, it's interesting where you, they, they rank on Google and they just, it's interesting. I think if somebody wants to, what I'm finding in this market is there's two different type of, of real estate people. There's the marketers that they're just, they know how to market. They know how to get on the front page of Google. They know how to, you know, get the phone to ring with, you know, yellow letters, whatever. And then you have the real estate, you know, guys and gals that understand the mechanics of real estate. And I think both are important, but with, 
with the leads in, in ZBuyer, I mean, it's a good way to just source deals and review them and check them out. And they somehow appear on Google and they get leads and they, they're they not in the buying business. They're in the lead selling business. Okay. So, so it's kind of an interesting niche and, you know. Yeah, so. interesting. Yeah, check that out. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Hey, I, I want to return back to one question that sure. I asked. I don't think we got to the answer. And then I want to get back into the cycle thing, the buy side. So I remember 07, 08, 09 very, very well. Uh, I remember the markets were tanking across the country. I remember, you know, Vegas and Arizona, pretty much the entire state yeah. uh, and all of Florida were, were you know, hitting, hitting the skids. Yeah. And I'm sitting and I'm like, you know, half, half these apartment condo buildings in Florida were, you know, 
foreclosing. The, the condos were being foreclosed upon. And you can, you can scoop up condos for nothing. And I'm sitting there like, you know, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm a little concerned. What is the market going to keep dropping? You know, but I knew the deals were deals, but I, I didn't have the guts to pull the trigger because I was more concerned that it, there was a, a lot more room to go. And so, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have looked a little deeper at the numbers and said, you know, listen, people need a place to live. Somebody's going to end up owning this thing. But what, what would your take be on that buy side? Like when, when is it time when a market is tanking as cycles are turning negative? You know, when would somebody know, hey, you know, now is maybe an okay time to start getting in there? You know, it's a great question. I think it's just, it's all return based. I yeah. just look at this and, and mind you, we're not talking about, you know, really, really, really rough neighborhoods. We can go buy, you know, a house sure. for a thousand bucks and yeah. you know, it's going to run for $800. And you know, I know it's your favorite place in Detroit. And I actually grew up in Detroit, outside of suburban Detroit. Uh-huh. But don't hold that against me. So I, I don't know. Why do people think I have an issue with Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it's all, it's all return based. I mean, if I can buy a, a property, Unleveraged and, and buy it for 30 grand. It rents for $800. I mean, yeah. you get to a point where what's the dirt worth? Yeah. I mean, the lot underneath or in some of these, what I did was is I did when I was doing a lot of owner finance deals, I was doing a five year amortization straight, no balloon. I mean, it was pay off in five and I would get these deals. I'm like, you know what? If I can buy this property and get a tenant, you know, Hey, tenant, tell you what, I'm going to let you live in my property for five years. But the deal is you're going to pay it off for me. And they were lining up around the corner to do that. And it was, it was crazy. It was just like, Hey, if I can put somebody in there and have this thing paid off, you know, I, and quite frankly, I got in early on some things. I, I got it. You're just not going to hit the bottom. Sure. And it, they went down and we had an interesting down because they put out that tax credit in 7,500. Remember that tax yep. credit? Yep. So everybody thought we had this kind of a false run up. But the reality is, is it was, it was, in, you know, it was artificial run up where if that tax credit wasn't there, it wouldn't have, it, it stimulated market. As soon as they took it away, the market dropped back down. And, and there's locally, I think it's important too, like here, we have somebody that through the, you know, he's, he lives in, he's, he grew up in England and he, I think he's, he went to Oxford. He's a mathematician, really, he's basically a genius and he tracks the market here and he has seminars every, couple times a year and he goes and puts the charts on. If you saw these charts, I'll have to send you guys some of his charts and his forms and everything. But this guy breaks it down per foot and you can see at the top it was going for 180 something bucks a foot and at the bottom it was going for, you know, $80 a foot or whatever. And this is average off, you know, n- you know, nicer, not so nice and everything yeah, in between. Yeah. But there's, there's local experts that track this data. And if you look at these charts and you look at the, the highs and lows, I mean, it's, you can kind of tell when it's starting to turn. I remember even in, oh, oh, six June, all of a sudden it got quiet here. And it didn't, it's like that tr- cruise ship doing a U-turn. It didn't drop on a dime, but it started, that was when it was starting to turn. And then, oh, eight was just a, was just a drop. But the answer to your question is, I think you just look at returns. If you're making 15, 18, 20% return on your money on leverage, I mean, where are you going to go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. All right. My, my, my next question, I know Brandon wants to jump in with some stuff. Can you, can you time the market for real? I mean, we're talking about it, but like, is this legit? Or I mean, is, is timing the market like gambling? Uh, you know, a lot of people might think that. You know, I, I don't think it is. I just look, you just look when you do exactly what the herd is not doing. Yeah. If everybody's, you know, in, oh, remember in, oh, 
five oh six, you'd go get to your haircut and your your barber or your stylist is telling you how they just bought two places in Florida or something like that, you know, two condos or two floor, you know, and, and that's what everybody was doing. It. Yeah. And they got away from the fundamentals where if you're buying a house for $200,000 and it rents for $800, you're negative. I don't care if you finance that you're in the hole every month. So how do you, and that's what I think is you look at the herd and you do exactly what the herd was doing. You know, if you do what the herd's doing, you're going to, you know, it's, that's what happens. You do, if you do exactly the opposite, everyone was running out and scared and short selling and REO. Or if you had any rentals and you made it through the, you know, you bought them in 0506 and then you're still hanging on in 0809, last thing you want to do is buy more of those things because yeah. you'd been bitten, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if it's, you just, I think you play the numbers and you understand. And if you have a good understanding of buy low, sell high. And you find an area where you get the good statistics. I think it's, I think it's absolutely possible. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned a minute ago too. I mean, well, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, we talked about how, you know, you said something like, I can't remember exactly, but basically if the market, even the market dropped and tanked, you're still getting that amazing return on your investment yep. because of the cash flow, right? Yeah. So that's one yeah. thing I recommend people all the time. I mean, even if, even if you're in a hot market today, I mean, this is my main piece of advice I give on webinars all the time. If you're in a crazy hot market, still look for an amazing deal that makes sense today. Yeah. Worst absolutely. case scenario. With cash flow. With cash about. flow, correct. With yes, cash flow. Absolutely. Worst case scenario, the market drops. Hopefully you're still doing okay cash flow wise. And even if you can't find that amazing deal, when the market does drop, you'll have just spent the the last two or three years analyzing deals, you'll be so hot and ready to go above everybody else because now the market's great. So even if Absolutely. you are afraid to buy right now, don't let that stop you from analyzing deals every single day. Yes. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm, like I say, I'm not saying, oh, you know, hawk everything head, you know, bunker up in the cabin <laughs> up in North and, you know, but, Get your but, shotgun think, out. <laughs> but for, for, I think you have to find your own philosophy. And right now, I think it's a good time to deleverage instead of 50 or 60 homes leveraged to your eyeballs. Yep. It wouldn't be bad to have 20 or 30 just paid off. You know, I don't know too many people that have lost properties being free and clear unless yep. you're not smart enough to pay the taxes, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Where it's a good time to deleverage. And then if you had 20 or 30 homes free and clear, if all cash breaks loose and the market even goes down again, I mean, the free and clear, who cares? They're going to cash flow. The rental market's phenomenal, at least in this town. So I think it's just, Having an overall philosophy and sticking, you know, sticking to it. And, and that's what I've tried to do. It's right, wrong, or indifferent, but it just, you know, you kind of just figure out where you want to go, have your short, mid and long-term goals and just follow. And occasionally you tweak them along the way. Perfect. Yeah. So cool. All right. Last question about the market cycle. I'm just curious. How can people that are listening to this, how can they get a better grasp on their market cycle? Cause markets are different everywhere, right? Your Arizona is different than Washington, different than Denver. How does somebody know their own market? I mean, a couple of things you can look at historical data and like we have here in Phoenix, we have publications that'll go back 10 years and publish the price per foot and it'll show the graph of up and down where the market has been. I think realtors are a great choice. I mean, you could ask somebody to say, listen, I'm not telling you, you know, ask an agent. I'm not telling you if I'm a buyer or seller, what's the market doing? Oh, it's a great time to sell, you know, cause that, you know, and they'll, and if four or five or six of the people are telling you the same thing, it's probably more than likely true. Not always, but there's just a time, there's a general mood of the market. And if you can get your finger on that pulse, and I think RIAs are great to go to, go into the local RIAs. Our RIA here puts on a slideshow presentation of market statistics every month. Yeah. It's, in, it's insane. That's cool. You know, and I think it's important that to go to, awesome. you know, 
with with your guys' site, it's a it's a gallery of information where you can people think about it. Anyone can post yeah. anything they want, and you have all the people willing to take their time and their talents to help help people out that need it. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Rias can be a, a great resource for sure. You, you know, I, I'm going to counter one thing you just said though, just because okay. you know I think it's an important point. What I remember was in 06, 05, 07, even yeah. there was a certain organization that was exuding the the values of now being a great time to buy, and there were lots of agents out there who were all hawking. Now's a great time to buy. Now's a great time to buy. Yeah, that was at the very, 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 very top. So, yeah. you know, I. I would say, you know, maybe, I, I, I don't know, you know, you, you've got to do your own homework. You cannot rely necessarily, like, you know, I, listen, I wish more agents were well-informed as to markets and I wish that more were well-informed as to, you know, how to invest or, or, or doing any of that. But yeah. at the end of the day, there's a lot who don't know what they're talking about. And, and so, absolutely, absolutely. You know, well, just be careful is what I'm telling people. Well, I think too, the, and the piggyback off of what you said is, is you can never get a hundred percent unbiased opinion if somebody has a vested interest in the outcome of your decision. Correct. But what that means is, is you don't go ask your insurance person, do you need more insurance? Correct. What is he going to say? No. Oh, sure. Death, disability, life, dismemberment. And you have to understand that. Wow. The continue <laughs> boiling frogs, dismemberment. What, hey, what is this show about? <laughs> but I, you know, you have, if people, everyone has their own agenda. Yeah. You know, and agents, they're there to sell. During that time, I did 95% listings. All I did was sell the stuff, get them out. I had some buyers that were hot to trot and want to buy. I said, listen, it's a negative cash flow. It's at the top of the market. If you want to buy, I'm warning you right now, we're near the top. I tell them yeah. three times after that, hey, sign here, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, and I, in, but yeah, I mean, in transactional, you get rewarded on doing the transactions, but right. and some people just don't have a clue. Exactly. They just say, hey, they just go where the money's at. So, yeah, yeah. so, so just be careful is all I'm saying. And, you know, the, I think that's why a resource like ours is, is so valuable. You know, that's ask, it. ask on bigger pockets, talk, you know, we've got local forums, local areas, ways to speak to local people, ask your questions, you know, get a vibe from lots of different people who are actually knee deep in the market and who may not necessarily be just the transactional guys who are going to make money if you're buying or selling that, you know, I do well if you buy or sell. Well, great. So you may, may not give me the, the best advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There we go. All cool. right. Well, I want to move, I want to shift gears a little bit to, uh, sure. maybe I, I, we might even make this an official segment of the show coming up here, you know, get a little sound effect music, whatever. But, uh, I'm really curious what, I want to know about your best, like one of your best deals you've ever done and one of your worst like horror stories. So why don't we start with the, I mean, what, what's a great deal that you can give us a quick story? Uh, and I know you gave us a few already, but anything yeah. that stands out is really am amazing. Okay. And a couple of, and I really like out of box stuff. So everybody is doing houses, trying to flip houses. It's tough to flip houses, tough to get deals. So I always do yeah. different things, but a couple of things just looking over the years, you know, and what was interesting was they're both note deals, which is interesting. I bought bad notes, like seller financing thing. When the person quits paying, the seller doesn't know what to do. I had yeah. one where it was on land and she actually lived across the street from the people and she didn't want to foreclose because she was their neighbor. Mm. And yep. so I bought, it was a hundred thousand dollar note, bought it for 60 and tried to work out a friendly foreclosure with the guy, called the agent and say, Hey, let's try to work out something. She's like, just foreclose, man. The guy's a deadbeat. So I ended up foreclosing on it and took it back and sold it 
for 160 with owner financing, took two big down payments they paid for a number of years, and they came back and said, listen, we can't pay anymore. We want to give it back. So I did a friendly deed in lieu, took it back, resold it again, and that was that was a really good one. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. and that was a good one. I, I in another one, and I think it's important to put deadlines on goals. I I always wanted to own a commercial building by, you know, mid June. I put a specific date, June fifteenth. By X year, I'm going to own my first commercial building. And I I came across the deal, and you know, I think when you put positive things out there, things come back. And I think obviously you get blessed, and you know, etc. But I had a title company give my number out to a nonprofit organization and let them know that I bought notes and it was on a shopping center. And I ended up working out a, a friendly foreclosure with this guy. I went there, sat down with them and, and he was in banking. He was a commercial banker. So I just said, listen, if, if you want it, we'll work it out. But if you don't, if you sign a deed in lieu, we'll take it back. We'll release you from any liability, no recourse. He was happy. He understood that. And we took that one, you know, took it back and, and that one's worked out real well. And i it was two out of the nine suites were leased. I went through and renovated the outside of it, leased, you know, seven of the nine are leased out already. And that one's, that one's been a pretty dang good one. So that's nice. awesome. That's awesome. Definitely something I want to get into someday. I think that'd be fun. But uh, all right, let's go about the opposite end of that spectrum. The horror <laughs> stories. Can you tell us you about got it? You got it now. <laughs> All right, pick, yeah. pick the worst of the worst. Okay, and it's a twofold. It's a twofold deal. Okay, right. and it's a no deal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, so the problem is, is when you have sometimes more money than brains, you don't know what to do your money with your money. So instead of just you know, and that's what for I, president. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So during the time where I was selling all my stuff, I'm like, all right, you get so used to high returns that uh, you want to invest it at something. So I did some hard money loans. Okay. And the thing with hard money loans are is that I went too far. I went five years out. And the problem with that is you're caught in a market cycle where you know it's time to sell, but you're trying to convince the borrower it's time to sell. And it, you know, so I had one where I lent on a property to to, to, two loans, one borrower. And long story short, I ended up taking back both the properties Right. And then I ended up with one of them at the bottom of the cycle. I think I had 140, 150 into it. I just fire sailed this sucker at, it was a weird kind of a quasi adult care thing, but it didn't have any, it had common bathrooms and it was a C minus D plus apartment complex. It was just a dog. Sounds like a winner. Oh yeah. It was (laughs) a dog. And so I, I ended up selling it and I think I got like 30. I lost over a hundred on that sucker. Wow. And the day I got 30, oh, I was so happy. I took that check <laughs> and ran that sucker to the bank and cashed it as cause, you know, I mean, it was a dog. But you know, what's interesting though is a lot of times you try to make bad things into good. And I took that 30, bought a great house at the bottom of the cycle. And I'm right back to where I'm at with where I, you know, it's worth 130, 140. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Cool. So, but it was a, t- a terrible deal. Yeah, I guess yeah. I, the hard money loans, I got creamed on a couple of them. Yeah. So there's something gratifying about unloading something that's killing oh. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of people will sit on those things and they're like, uh, you know, they're bleeding to death. Like it's a slow drip, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, since you started this this real visceral visual <laughs> episode here, you know, <laughs> bloodletting. But like, you know, and and like. Hey, what should I do? What should I do? I'm, I'm bleeding. Yeah. You know, there's always other opportunities. Like if you're, you know, bleeding to death, then yeah. stop the bleeding. You know, I already lost. Of- the money was lost. Yeah. It's already lost. It's whether or not you choose to realize it. I'm like, you know yeah. what? I'm the type where, you know, when I talk to friends, I'm like, listen, if tell me the good, bad, and the ugly about 
whatever, to be totally blunt and because the truth is the truth. Yeah. And if it's a dog deal, it's a piece of junk. It is what it is. As soon as right. you realize it, you cut it loose, you get that cancer out of your life. Yep. And by the way, it may not be, you know, let, let's, let's clarify that because it may be a cancer for you, right? Somebody exactly. else comes in I don't and it's a great it. opportunity. You know, it's, Hey, this is something that at this phase in my life or with the resources that I have or, or kind of, you know, I just had a kid or whatever it is, you know, we all have our own personal situations that affect our decisions. So like, you know, to you, what just, it's not worth it anymore. Maybe a screaming opportunity for somebody else who's like, yeah, I, I love dealing with these kinds of tenants. I love dealing with these issues. So like, you know, we're here talking about this stuff and to the listener, you know, don't think that, just because we say, you know, it's time to let go f- means that something's necessarily a bad deal. It just means that it's not working out necessarily. Well, and that goes to tell you too, I mean, I'm supposed to know what the heck I'm doing. And sometimes you don't. And sometimes, you, you know, the guy that looks for motivated sellers is a motivated seller. Yeah. yeah. And and the guy that took the property did great with it. I mean, he's renovated it and stuff. It was just out of my scope. And it's just, sometimes you just don't have the mental capital to spend to do that where it's just, you know what? I could focus my efforts better on something I'm more efficient at and just let him go and do the build out on that thing and mess with it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to fool with it. So nice. Awesome. I think it's time, Brandon. I think it's time for the world famous. It's time for the fire round. These are questions that come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, and we're going to fire them right at you. So, which you could get to at biggerpockets.com/slash/forums. Guys like David are sometimes active on said forums, even. Yeah, there you go. We'll be in the future. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number number one. That's actually it ties in well with yeah. with our conversation today. What are a few key points that you would tell to somebody who just does not understand market cycles? You know, just learn the numbers. I think if you can understand how to figure out what your returns are, that'll kind of show you where you're at in the market cycle. I mean, if you're getting to the point where the returns are terrible, I mean, you know, I mean, it's important to have knowledge and understand it and don't rely on anybody else. I think when everything's said and done, the buck should stop with, with you where you're ultimately responsible for your own financial well-being. So yeah. right on. Cool. All right. Here's, here's kind of another related question. Do you feel that understanding the cycles of the market can help you easily determine when and where to buy? I, th- I think so. I think so. Because like when I bought in California, what I did is I started off looking at what was the worst market in the country and trying to figure out sometimes they're bad for a reason and they're never going to come back. Yeah. But you find some that says, okay, why would this come back? Okay, it's proximity to LA or I don't know California that well, but it's, it's a commuter's market. And it, it had tons of buildable land back then, and it was just prime for, for you know, development. So, Chernobyl, for example, may not be the best market. To- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. All right. Number three: Should someone who is looking to buy their first investment property look at land over an established home? It depends. If you can pay cash for land, the only holding—I mean, it's an alligator. You'll feed it every month if if you're just. But I think it's a good way where you can get in cheap. And I mean, there's some parcels we can buy for a couple of thousand dollars. And I bought, you know, some stuff up north for 7,500. I bought, you know, six parcels. One of them even had a billboard on it on the freeway where I got income oh. off the billboard oh, wow. and had five acre parcels kind of around and for a low amount of money. And, you know, what you can do is buy it cash and then turn around and sell it on terms and just, you know, double or triple the price. So, wow, that's cool. Right on. 
we should talk about that on another show. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, la- last question of the fire round. When looking for an out-of-area property, what do you specifically look for? Does it need to be in certain shape to feel comfortable not being there? I know earlier you had talked about, you know, it's, it's hard investing at a distance. So, you know, what, what would get you to do it? You know, and I, and I kind of flip stuff throughout the state now. And I just, the trick is, is, is looking to make sure everything that's wrong with it's curable and easy to fix. Where if you're going out of, you know, going out of area two, three, four hour drive, you're not going to want to have to deal with, you know, stuff that you have to rewire, replumb, mainly do cosmetic stuff because you know you go in there, you're just going to estimate what you think it's going to cost and just make it simple where in, in the deals that I've done out of area, I've just tried to make it a goal where I just want to go there once to buy and maybe once to meet contractor there in the beginning and wants to see how it ended up. And that was it. I went, I just did one about an hour and a half away and I only went there three times total and just sold it last week and it turned out great. Nice. So, nice. Yeah, right on. Cool. All right. Well, hey, let's move over to the final section of the show, which we lovingly call our Famous Four. All right. These are the four questions that we ask every guest every week. They're the exact same questions. So number one, I'm sure you know what's coming, but number one, what is your favorite real estate related book? This is one I read. I read two in the beginning. One was by the Millens. They're the real estate agents here that are agents, investors, and it was Arizona specific. It's how to buy and manage rental properties. I mean, it's I'm sure it's out there, but this is 20 years ago. I've read another one, how to buy properties at a 20% or more discount. That was really good because you just didn't, 20 years ago, you just didn't have the podcasts and all the information out there that people have now. So those were the books and they, they were pretty good back in the day. So. Right on. Cool. What about favorite business book today? You know, I really like two. I like anything with Tony Robbins, you know, positive mental, you know, associating more pleasure than pain and that kind of thing, as well as, you know, thinking positive. And then Brian Tracy with sales techniques. Right on. Anything with those two guys are excellent. So cool. I've read a lot of their stuff. Cool. 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 So what do you do for fun? I know you've got some kids. What, Three what kids. Like you know, Three um, kids club. Yeah. <laughs> you know, believe it, I've, I've I'm a short guy and I'm in my mid forties, but I play basketball every day for two hours. So Monday through Thursday. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's half the time it doesn't end well. I mean, I broke my nose four or five months ago playing. I had to wear a, you know, a brace on my, you know, one of those face masks nice. and, uh, broke my hand playing, broke my thumb and, but it's fun. I mean, I enjoy it, enjoy it. So it's real fun. So I gave up on basketball because I realized when I hit 30, like every time I played, I would hurt myself. I was like, it's just, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, these guys are twice my size and half my age, but it's, it's <laughs> nice. That's cool. Yeah. All right, my last question of the day. Dave, what do you believe sets apart successful investors from those who give up or fail or never get started? <laughs> you know what? There's a quote by Calvin Coolidge, and I, I'm going to read that? it. That's okay. Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> Is that like one of our presidents or something? <laughs> yep, yep. Wow. Nothing in the world takes the, uh, takes the place of persistence. Talents will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination are omnipotent. So I mean, that, that's it. I mean, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room or girl. You don't have to be the best. You just have to be determined and persistent. You can't. I, I all the time I have people. Oh, hey, I want to get into real estate. This and that. But unless you have the fire in your belly. It's it's tough to succeed because I always say the highs are high, the highs are high and the lows are low, yeah. you know. And it's it's emotional roller coaster. I mean, you do great deals and then you get creamed and then you know it's just up and down. 
So, yeah. but persistence and determination, extremely important. So, and Calvin Coolidge is my new favorite president. Yep. <laughs> it's a great quote. A yeah. Quote. My dad gave it to me years ago, you know, when I was on a, I was on a, you know, a, a mission, you know, 20 years ago. And he sent me this little quote and I used to read it all the time when I, when I get down on myself. So it was, it was really good. So nice. cool. were you with, with Dan Aykroyd and, and Belushi on that mission? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> My last question is how can people find you? You know, where, where, where can they connect with you if they want to? Besides the show notes, uh, which you can find at biggerpockets.com slash show 188. Email is azbroker at icloud.com. Uh, webpage is azpropertystore.com. So if you have anything, just reach out to me via email. And uh, especially if you have a question or you're trying to get started or whatever, and and uh, be more than happy to help. So real estate's a fun biz. I mean, but you have to have that passion. I, I always tell people you will either love it or you'll curse the day you got into it. I mean, yep. there, it's it's one extreme or another. And I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. It's a it's a great business. So love to hear fun. that, man. Yeah, love to hear that. Well, That's David, cool. thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Likewise, thank really, you. Really, really enjoyed it, and we'll we'll see you around bigger pockets, and lots of luck to you going forward. As you, thank you. you know, we we didn't actually. You know what? I'm I'm not gonna. End. <laughs> what's what's the future holding for you, David? We usually ask that. And we we didn't ask that question yeah, today. So yeah, what do you what do you got? You know, I'm just, next? I'm, you know, I've been doing this 20 plus years and what I've kind of doing now is just kind of consolidating. And my goal is next summer to kind of take a extended vacation sabbatical. And right now I think there's a great opportunity for the next year to get in and get out real quick on certain things, at least here. And I'd really like to, you know, spend a lot of time next summer with the family vacationing and, and just enjoy life. Cause that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, money comes, money goes, but the important things of life, you know, it's, it's, you know, it'll magnify what you are. And if you do well and magnify that you're a great person, and if you do well and you're not a great person, it'll magnify that as well. But I think it's important to, you know, give back and help other people because we've, we've all been there. And, you know, I've had mentors along the way that have really helped me out and, and spent tireless hours explaining things on how they w- that work. And I think it's important to give back. So I want to spend more time, give back and just enjoy life a little bit more. So. I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. Let's let's end it there. David, thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. We'll see you around. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. That was David Gundmanson. Big thanks to David. That was that was great. I love talking about the cycles. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, me too. And you know what? One thing he said during the show like hit me harder than I think. I mean Really, really impacted Somebody me a lot. Somebody used to hit you. <laughs> no, so here's here's what he said. He said the, when he was using the analogy of the musical chairs, and he said, you know, I don't have to be, you know, whatever the last one in the chair. He's like, I just when I when everyone's up dancing, the lights are off, and the music's going, I just grab a chair and sit down and put my feet up. And like, I always feel like I have to time the market, and I gotta figure out, are we almost there? Are we almost at the peak yet? But like, I love his attitude of, you know what? Even if we're not at the peak, even if it's going to go up another couple of years, I would rather be out early than out late. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I love that that kind of thinking, that analogy really kind of helped solidify a few decisions in my mind of whether or not I'm going to sell or one of my couple of my big properties. I think uh, I might just end up selling them. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I had that philosophy after uh, when I was a stock trader. That was one of the things that we always were taught is, you know, you want to sell on the way up. So, you know, let's say you buy a thousand shares and the thing starts to tick up. So, you know, unload a hundred shares every, you know, a couple points, unload another hundred shares and, and lighten, lighten the load a little bit. You can't really do that with 
with a single property, but if you have a portfolio and you think things are going to potentially turn, lock in those gains as you go up. I think it's just, you know, it's a, it's a potentially a, a smart strategy. I fully agree. I fully yeah. agree. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, like it's not a race, right? So like you're not competing against everyone else. You're competing against yourself. So, you know, if you've, if you've gotten some gains, lock them in. Lock them in, get out. Like, would you rather have that or would you rather have, you know, have the opposite where everybody's suddenly selling? You can't keep up and the price keeps dropping, dropping, dropping. I've, I've experienced it. It's a horrible feeling. Selling on the way down is, is not fun. So I'd rather unload on the way up every single time. Cool. Yeah, man. Agreed. Everything else good? Everything else is, uh, is pretty, pretty good. Yeah, you know my 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 little smart-ass remark earlier about uh, the the president. We've got lots of rich candidates running we here, do. and and what we we we've actually reached out. I don't know. Here's we, you know we've, we've reached, reached out, out to, to some of the campaigns. All, we? Yeah, we've reached out to I think all of them by now. I got one more to hit up. So yeah, yeah. we're trying to get them on the show, guys. We we would yeah. like to see yeah. if we can get the you candidates guys... to to speak about housing policy um, yeah. here on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Yeah. So if you have a connection to any of the presidential candidates right now and you can hook us up with their media people or whatever uh, and put in a good word for us, we'd love to get the big presidential candidates on this show talking about yeah, real estate, business, life, all that good stuff. So hook us up. Yeah, yeah, real estate. Yeah, real estate. Yeah, yeah life. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Tell cool. me your deepest thoughts. Yeah. All yeah. right. All right, man. Well, it's been fun. You guys, thank you so much. And uh, make sure to get out there. Make sure, as Brandon talked about, make sure you're evaluating deals. Make sure you're researching. Even if you're a newbie, you got to learn. You got to work. You know, you you can't just sit on your behind and and this business is going to work for you. So, you know, evaluate deals, network, connect, ask questions, jump on the Bigger Pocket site, the forums, the blogs. Um, Go to your local meetups, uh, go to local events in your area, connect with other investors and make it happen. And uh, with that, I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.